0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast. Hi, I'm your very nasally sounding host, Misty Little. Ragweed season has hit with a vengeance and paired with an abnormally wet and gloomy October here in Texas, my gardening time has kind of been non-existent. I'm sure many of you can relate to the wonderful world of sinus infections. It's not very pleasant. And at least those of you in Texas can understand my desire to reach for one of those sun lamps because October gray is very reminiscent of late December and early January gray here. It is too soon, Mother Nature. Too soon. Today's guest is someone I've been friends with online for several years now, uh, after having found her while searching a hashtag for a local public natural area in Fort Worth. Since then, i followed her gardening and permaculture adventures in South Fort Worth. Caitlin Reeves is a home gardener and naturalist, dabbling in a little bit of everything. From creating her yard in the manner of permaculture ethics, to growing her own herbs for her home business venture, as well as attempting to learn as much as possible about the natural world around her, Caitlin is my kind of gardener. In our chat, we mentioned something called iNaturalist. Since this conversation, I've kind of become an iNaturalist convert. I joined sometime in the spring of 2016, but quickly abandoned it because I didn't really enjoy logging my natural history sightings on my iPhone, as well as some other misgivings. Caitlin encouraged me to give it another go, and I've been using the online desktop computer version ever since, even beginning to backlog my huge collection of photos from Flickr. I definitely suggest you give it a go. It is absolutely a learning experience and there are so many people far more knowledgeable than me that I have been learning from. I do have some suggestions if you want to do this. Take multiple photos of the thing you're wanting to identify. For plants, I would suggest a general habitat setting with the plant, a close-up of the inflorescence, maybe individual flowers if there's multiple flowers, and a photo of the set of leaves. And then finally, anything else you may think uh, that would benefit it. I mean, this, this is kind of for the non-obvious things that most people are going to figure out pretty easily, but something weird, take lots of photos, take your time and don't, don't upload crappy blurry photos. It just makes it really hard to identify or verify. All right. With that, I give you the episode with Caitlin. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the garden path podcast or on the garden You can find show notes and you can contact me at the garden at gmail.com. If you're interested, you can join the podcast newsletter there by clicking the link to sign up on the podcast website. Enjoy the episode. Um, yeah. So, is it raining up there right now?
1: Um,
0: not currently.
1: It's we've had it's very cloudy. Um, there's a little like a five ten minute break with some sun, but we've had a lot of rain
0: lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw someone say that the maybe September might just be very cloudy and rainy. So I don't know if I like that yet or not.
1: I know. It's kinda weird. I was liking it for a couple of days and then um it was like, Oh, where's the sun? Like this is normal for us.
0: So No, no, it's not. Well, yay, I'm glad we're we're connecting, we're chatting. So, I'm so I've got my I've got my granny sweater on because it's so cold <laughs> here. So <laughs> and, well, it's like a tank top, and I'm like, it's summer still, no, I'm not inside, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if um, you maybe want to introduce yourself, uh, tell people who you are and where you garden, and um, talk a little bit about uh, your gardening background.
1: Okay, um, my name is Caitlin Reeves and um, I'm in Zone 8A um, in Burleson, Texas, which is, which is just on the very northern part of Johnson County. So, um, and I just have a regular suburban lot and we garden in the front and the back. So um, it's, we're basically trying to create, um, or I'm trying to create a, a big food forest and, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what
0: we're <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. So maybe talk about zone 8A. What is the typical climate like for you? I mean, I know what that kind of area is like and 8A is probably different through, you know, across the country where it goes. So for, for your area of Texas,
1: okay. kind of. For our area is, is interesting. We live in what a lot of people call like the donut hole. Of of this like eco region, and we don't get near as much rain as even like at Denton and Fort Worth, and um and 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 we don't get the same exact temperature. And as far as gardening goes, you know, like your your freeze hours, I mean, even just a couple weeks, it's kind of a significant difference sometimes as far as when you're planting and whatever. So um we get um. I don't know the exact numbers as far as rain goes. This is a really wet month right now, but I can tell you the summer was just awful. I mean, almost nobody in Texas got rain, but even the people who were getting rain, like in DFW, we weren't getting any of that rain. So it was, it was difficult. Um, and you know, as far as like cold months go, I have not felt like we've gotten a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of cold weather. So that's for as far as my gardens, you know. In the last few years, we've had you know a lot of bugs, and then if we get one little freeze, it'll damage. It will have like pretty significant damage to um to certain things. But yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> so when you said the difference in timing is so drastic, um, is it that y'all are behind or ahead? Like, or you guys are freezing more than? you know, up in Fort Worth or less freezing?
1: We're less, we're less freezing. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, my experience has been like, um, a lot of people will get, be getting like severe weather, whether it's like an ice or tornado or, or whatnot, north of us in Denton. And then whereas we are, we're not getting a lot of that here. So, I mean, when it comes to extreme stuff, we're, we're, you know, that's good, but. Right. (laughs) You don't need
0: tornadoes. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about um, the ice storm back in, was it January of this last year when we were we were trying to leave Fort Worth and that all happened. And it was it was about Burleson that the roads weren't freezing. So by the time we got through town, it was like, okay, still, I think there was still a few spots on bridges that were a little slick. But yeah, it was pretty, it was kind of odd because I figured you know, closer to town with the, the kind of the heat sink of all the concrete and moving out would be a little different, but no, it was, it was warmer down there.
1: Yeah, it was, It we don't get it. And, and my parents actually live in East Texas and it's funny because whenever they're getting rain, um, like in Bainville County, like we're not, we're not getting a drop and it's like, okay, that is, I feel like we're always begging for, you know, certain weather patterns to come through and they just kind of skip over us. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, let's go back to um, your parents are in East Texas. And did you grow up gardening or did you kind of come to it later in life?
1: Um, I, I, to this extent, I, I haven't been gardening, but I feel like it's just been a gradual extension. Um, you know, from my childhood, I was, I was pretty fortunate enough to um, have a lot of like nature – access um when I was little for a while we lived um with my grandparents on their farm in um, Honeygrove and that was I lived there when I was a little kid and I lived there again in junior high and so that had a lot of um uh I guess piqued my interest especially in in junior highs I kind of started learning more about the world around me as far as gardening and um enjoying nature and, and whatnot so it just has gradually evolved over time and um, you know planting things when I'm little in the garden and then um, eventually learning about water conservation plants and and things like that and just kind of a building slow building process, I guess.
0: Right. Now, what's your degree in? do you have a background in plants at all?
1: Um, like- okay, so my degree is the English literature degree. But once I, I also joined, um, you know, our in, environmental organization, which was called Grassroots, and had a lot of friends, um, biologists, there's a, there's an interesting degree at Texas Tech called the Natural History and Humanities degree. And a lot of those kids were in this grassroots organization. So I learned a lot about prairies, you know, there's a short grass prairie, and, um, you know, habitat restoration, water conservation um and stuff like that so I have an English degree but I always kind of trended towards even like my reading environmental justice issues and things that stem from that um so yeah so a lot of like my <laughs> reading interests I of a lot of my like gardening and other passions you know related to nature and
0: whatnot right okay okay I see how that that worked
1: it's a oh. weird flow but it I don't know. We got there. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So you went to tech out in Lubbock, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So East Texas to wow, way out there must've been kind of drastic.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. It was drastic. Um, as far as the landscape goes, but my dad actually lived, um, in the Valley for a long time too. So I have really always enjoyed, you know, learning more about like the Texas landscape and just how all, you know, all the different eco regions we have. So it was, it was a drastic change, but I
0: really liked it out there. So, right. Right. Yeah. That is the one good thing about Texas. I feel like there's so much to explore and to, and to find, uh, to get to know. And I just, I just barely touching my, my uh, hand in all of it. And, you know, I'm never going to spend a ton of time in the Panhandle or even on the High Plains out there. So, <laughs> when I can get out there, it's it's nice to try to absorb some of that. So. Oh
1: yeah, it's gorgeous. And and we, uh, you know, I was lucky to find a really good group of friends that were interested in nature, and we would go to like Caprock Canyon and Paladuro Canyon, and just it. Everything is so is just so different. So,
0: yeah, yeah. The first time when that I'd ever been to either of those canyons was when we came back from Florida, um, Mm -hmm. it was was never a place that we drove to, um, with my family. So it was neat. That's cool. Um, yeah. So your garden is a typical suburban lot. Um, is anybody else in the neighborhood gardening too, or is it, you're the, you're the crazy lady with the cool (laughs) garden. (laughs) Um,
1: well, sometimes I think my neighbors probably, Um, we live in an older neighborhood, so I guess it's, there's an advantage there because even though my direct neighbors, um, they all have like regular, um, St. Augustine grasses, there are in, in, in typical landscaping. Um, there's a lot of really big oak trees around here and our neighborhood has just, it's, it's a nice neighborhood. I haven't gotten to know anybody else that's doing pretty much gardening, but I feel like people are fairly friendly. And when people pass by on their bikes or whatever, the, a lot of times they get a compliment or like, Oh, we're just glad to see you out here. And you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. so, right.
0: it, you know, and so, yeah. I get, so you plant in the front and the backyard then.
1: Um, yeah. Actually, the front, the front yard, we have a, we have a big red Oak probably. ten over 10 years old now. And, um, and then the best sun we get is in the front. You have a really big pecan in the backyard and, um, and it gets like the early morning sun, but then the houses and all the trees around it, there's a lot of shade. So, so that's really why I started gardening in the front yard is just because that's the best, the best sun.
0: Right. So, I mean, since you are you do permaculture um, as your, I guess, gardening ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that, too. But I want to say, like, how did you plan your guilds and um, decide how where to plant everything if you've got, you know, more shade in the backyard, more sun in the front yard? Um, how long did it take for you to kind of realize what you needed to do to get things to grow properly?
1: Right. Um, well, when I first moved, moved here... Um, Actually, we also have like it's hard to visualize, but in the backyard we have a line of hackberries and some other mixed things that just have grown. And um, some of them I've cut back, but some of them are also on my neighbor's um, property line. Right. So that's what we're working with as far as like I'm trying to ma- manipulate and create more sun. Um, and they weren't as as big maybe five years ago and I had um a pretty good little garden there well then we got a dog <laughs> <laughs> a large German Shepherd and so I had to kind of um and at the same time these hackberries and stuff were, were were maturing and getting much taller and so I just it was it it just kind of happened it just kind of moved everything to the front As far as like my guilds and whatnot, um, I really have just expanded really slowly. We've started with a peach tree and maybe a six by six space in the front um, and worked on a guild around the peach tree Mm -hmm. and things that we enjoy growing, like tomatoes and peppers and that, you know, regular stuff. Um, And then I've just every season made. More and more space, and then add in more and more yield. If that makes sense, right, right, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So,
0: um, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go back to that pecan. Do you harvest the pecans?
1: Um, we do. I I have harvested them several years, and this is the first year that I've noticed it's not actually bearing. It's weird. It's flowering right now, and a lot of the pecans in our neighborhood are heavy with fruit green, you know, green pecans right now. Um, so I don't think that's going to bear this year. Um, the only thing about that is, is like I said, with our dog, it's, I haven't found an efficient and clean way to harvest all the pecans with the dog. Right. <laughs> right. <It's> sanitary. <laughs> yeah, sanitary. Right. Exactly. So right. we've, yeah, we've had lots of pecans in the past and, um, in fact, the dog likes the pecans. She likes to eat the pecans. as yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I like to come up with a better a better method of um, of harvesting them so it's
0: more efficient and we get more out of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. You said it's flowering right now.
1: Yeah, it's really weird. That
0: yeah, that is very weird.
1: That's, I think it was because of the drought, and I think that. I don't know um and, and I haven't noticed i our neighbors our neighbors have a, the same same size tree same thing and it. it's also flowering um, and like I said the other ones in the neighborhood all have
0: all right fruit that's that's so weird, huh <laughs> so what do you else do you got growing in the front yard right now then
1: okay well i have I have a lot um have well. I'll, I'll try to go by guild if I can um, this year I added um, a strawberry and asparagus bed which I'm really excited about um, I guess asparagus well one it's like takes several years to, to get to a harvesting period um, so I wanted to have a bed that was going to be working before then and right. so I was, I was reading about just requirements in, in popular companion planting with asparagus, and apparently strawberries are one of the more common ones. Hmm. Um, so I've got that going. Um, oh, my gosh. I have, I have a lot of herbs. I have most of the, you know, regular garden herbs like sage and oregano and thyme and parsley. Um, I just got my root crops and stuff and cabbages planted um, right before the rains. So um have a little space for those.
0: Did you Our, start from seed or did you buy starts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I try to do, well, I try to do most of my stuff from seed, though I have had to like rely on starts when I've had like failed, you know, germination, especially if tomatoes, <laughs> tomatoes yeah, yeah. <laughs> were bad for me. I didn't get any of my seeds. Um, they all just died. I think they got overwatered and, just probably snails or something like that oh yeah <laughs> so i'm trying to think i have a little apple tree guild that i'm working on mm-hmm. um, but my um my little apple tree isn't looking so good it oh. it required a lot more um or it, i think it requires a lot more water than really what we got and i tried to keep it i mean it's alive but we'll see how it goes so, Right. So with the apple tree, I've got some artichokes and herbs um, around that, and um, I'm trying to think what else. I'm growing several like medicinal herbs that are also like dual functioning um, in permaculture. Hmm. Um, and comfrey; those are two big ones that a lot of people companion plant um, in their guilds for like nutrition for the plants, and then also. Um, Uh, for pollinators. So those are two um, that are in the guilds. (laughs) Down there right now. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I've got. I try to focus on, so as I've been building um, and just planting and choosing which, you know, which plants to put in, in permaculture, they talk about like stacking functions. So choosing and there's a focus on perennial plants so that you're not disturbing the soil too much or you're leaving right. pockets where you're not disturbing the soil at all um, after you plant. So um, I have a lot of herbs in there that, you know, function both for pollinators and pest control um, and then things that I use, like like the company, Calendula, um, Mexican or Texan, uh, Texas Terragon. Is a oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just added that one this year and um, trying to think. On the edge, so there's, I have the pecan, I mean the, the red oak and the peach tree, and then some guilds around that. And on the edge, what I'm working on is a pollinator edge. And eventually, I only have one corner done right now that's nice and mature. And then I have a little cactus garden in um, the front corner but the whole edge eventually is going to be all native and pollinator plants. Oh, I like that.
0: So like, is that kind of like along the street?
1: Yeah, along the street in the driveway.
0: Okay. So that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always uh, it's always work to do, and it's uh-huh. always- planning and changing and thinking about what to do for the future. And I, I thought this year I was going to make some strides on certain areas. And then I realized that, oh, this is going to be a several year project. <laughs> so. right.
1: right. Yeah. I try to just add a bed. Basically every season and at the same time work on a lot of With natives I found is it's difficult to acquire native plants, except through maybe um, even native plant, um, the native plant society. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get good plants at those sales, but really even there, you can only find certain plants I have found. Right. So so I'm trying to grow a lot of those from seed at the same time. So that's, you know, that's a lot of work in and of itself, just because I, in my experience, perennials are, are kind of a little bit more sensitive then um, when they're slow growing to, you know, your regular
0: annual crops
1: that you grow, you know, like lettuces and just toss those around and there you go. Right,
0: right. Yeah, Yeah, no, I agree with you. Last year, I tried to get a bunch of different uh, native seeds and I've had varying degrees of success. Um, You know, most of them needed uh, culture stratification, and, you know, I sowed them in pots afterwards and a lot of stuff germinated, but then it would get too much water or the rain was just too strong for the seedlings. And I was like, maybe I need to be starting these under lights where I can control, you know, the water. And, um, and then part of me is like, well, maybe I'm just going to throw the rest of whatever, Cause I saved some of my seeds for backup. If things didn't go so well, um, just throw the rest of them out in the garden and let, Nature do its thing in the winter, so I don't, I don't know. It's very tricky, and that's probably probably why we don't see so many uh, native plants around.
1: Right, right, yeah. I think it's. Um, I feel like there's like a demand for for these for these plants, but they it's not something that's easily mass produced, like a lot of you know cultivated varieties and whatnot. Right. Um, I say the demand is high. I I mean maybe I just. I'm kind of closed off in my own little. You know, <laughs> people that love native plants, you know. But um, like, I w- I'm surprised. I had a difficult time finding little blue stem, and I looked for over. I looked at the um, at the at the Fort Worth Botanical Garden. They have a plant sale every year with the Native Plant Society, and um, and I I didn't even find it there, which I was yeah. really. So, I started growing that, and I have I only have maybe oh, I think I have six pots, and one of my pots ended up having like five seeds in it. So, I probably have 10 like good looking native blue stem plants that I'll put in later this fall,
0: right? But you know,
1: I mean, it's required a lot of attention just to get <laughs> <them all.
0: laughs> well. I think, I mean, little blue stem and then um, the bushy blue stem, I mean. It's really common on roadsides and stuff. You could probably, like, pull over and you know, seeds <laughs> and spread them out and see if they'll grow like that. Yeah. So.
1: I have a friend that she, when she's she's a master naturalist, and she's also with the Plant Society, the Plant Society. And um, she she finds spots where, you know, places that have gone up for sale and, you know, they're going to put a development in, which is, like, everywhere here. Right. Um, so will go dig them up. And- right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. So you took a permaculture design course. Can you talk about that a little bit for people? I've had a couple of people talk about permaculture on the podcast, but you know, maybe this is their first episode they're listening to. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what it entailed for you and how long it lasted?
1: Um, yes, that was, um, well, the permaculture design course, I, I took that at Elizabeth Anna's and they have a friend that comes in and teaches it, um, Wayne Wiseman. I was actually listening to one of your podcasts and um, the people mentioned publishing with Chelsea Green, I think Chelsea Green. Oh yeah. That was
0: Amy. Mm -hmm.
1: And um, Wayne, actually, he has a couple of books put out through Chelsea Green too. He's been around a while and um, I think he's originally from maybe Indiana. Um, But anyway, he, he did a great class and, This one is a 72-hour course to get um, your certification. And it was split over two basically long weekends. I think it was a seven-day type of thing. We did some in the fall and then some in the maybe early spring. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I had done a lot of research about permaculture and you know read tidbits here and there and um and even gotten a couple of of permaculture books but it really helped put things together bigger concepts that I wasn't able to get as far as just reading and Mm self-study and they didn't haven't really talked about the back a lot but in the back we had this big pecan and lots of shade and when we and I mentioned the dog because Really, it was the biggest challenge in our, in our backyard because when she was out there and a couple of years ago when we had, um, I guess it's been three years, um, we had so much rain, kind of like we're having now. The ground got compacted really bad. And hmm. almost, we actually live really close to a floodplain. And um, it, it was so bad that the water was just pooling up. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really. It was quite damaged, and so part of part of my um, design implementation was actually restoring that area, and um, so that I could build up more soil and um, better uh, permeability and whatnot, and put put in better plants like fruit trees, um, which is what we've done finally at this point. But um, I had to learn the permaculture class helped me think about water flow and the system of everything versus just like, you know, how to plant certain. Right. Things, right. You know, Cause raised bed gardening, while it has, I mean, while it's, it's, it's great. I wanted to be planting in the ground and also help restoring the soil and the natural, you know, pseudo natural ecosystem, you know, with, you know specific cultivars or whatever but right so that's kind of i think what helped pull things together for me is like um learning about like contours and water flow and and that kind of stuff
0: i think that's what i like about permaculture because i feel like so many like just gardening classes which are you know are great and you know and permaculture courses are probably for like you know people who've been gardening for a while too but they give those aspects to your surroundings that you don't get anywhere else. And, um, I've, I've never done a PDC, but I want to, (laughs) but I've you know obviously read enough and listened to enough people talk about it that I have a good grasp on what it uh, pertains to. But I just, there's so much a bad information out there or non-information out there, um, that I think it helps pull, pull together all the different pieces of gardening, um, I don't know that's just my impression of it at least
1: yeah well the guy who you know came like
0: quote, came up
1: with or really coined the the term permaculture bill mollison from what and this also helped in the classes way wayne was telling us kind of the background of bill mollison he he actually studied what the indigenous people were doing and how they were doing farming right and which i really connected with that because in school, you know, I kind of started learning about, um, you know, indigenous communities here in North America and, you know, just a lot of different aspects and um, and challenges that they face. And it, it makes a lot more sense it, to me, it, as far as the mindset of gardening, it makes a lot more sense to be working with the ecosystem that you're in or right. maybe restoring the ecosystem That um, was there before because most of this was like, you know, farmed up, you know. Right. So you you kind of feel like you're doing something with the system instead of just using the land for your own benefit, you know. Right. So, so yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things that I connect with permaculture a lot more so than like a traditional way of gardening.
0: Right. No, I agree. It's hard. It's hard for me to even like go back to that, that way of thinking of, or even try to, to put myself in that kind of way of thinking um, without trying to incorporate, you know, the whole natural ecosystem into what I do. So. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's amazing to me. I'm still just learning about um, like the history of the soil and the composition and, um you know i'm just really getting into that this past year through master naturalist and understanding like how critical our <laughs> situation is right now in texas and just specifically but really in any place that does farming or heavy foresting or whatever um and so i feel like i'm contributing to that a little bit more by doing like no-till and I wouldn't say no dig because I have to dig to do annual crops. Right. Do less digging and, um, and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's go to that master naturalist. Um, can you talk about the course you took and what it entails and, and, and everything you've learned?
1: Yeah, it is an amazing course. It is. It's basically a college course and you actually get like a legit, you know, textbook, biology, but you know, um, in for the course and it's, um, it's cheap. I mean, think about like how much college courses cost, and this is 125 bucks. Um, and then you also do volunteer work. So we have had a class, um, you have to do 40 hours of classwork and then you do 40 hours of volunteer work Mm -hmm. um, to complete the certification. Okay. And you don't, from what I understand, you don't have to complete all of your volunteer hours within, like, the year that you do your class. You just won't get certified until you complete all the volunteer hours. Okay. So they're pretty loose. And there's chapters in, um, like, I'm in the chapter with um, Johnson and Hood County, and I can't remember what the other county is, but it's a pretty big area. So you get to know people you know, other naturalists in your specific area. Right. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the volunteer hours, where where have you personally volunteered or what do do people typically do when they volunteer?
1: There there are a lot of different, um, opportunities. I, well, first of all, the, the master naturalist is, um, I don't know if it's sponsored or they're, they're basically related through to Texas parks and wildlife and right. Life. So a lot of the opportunities you can volunteer all sorts of places. I could volunteer at um, the Brit in Fort Worth. That would count as hours. If I was doing anything with the nature education, like with kids or if they just need someone helping out, I don't know if they let you do, you know, garden maintenance out there. Trails. Right and state parks or um, nature trails in your own community. Um, that's that's what I'm working on right now. We have an event coming up called Native Arts Day, and that's going to be held in Cleburne. And so any research, you know, to do with that as far as your presentation, I'm doing ethnobotany, which is going to be really fun. Um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, one of the cool things we're doing in Burlington is the Master Naturalists that live here. We're working with the city um, in trying to create more nature trails. Oh, yeah, for nature trails, um, come up with like guided walk, trash cleanup, all that kind of
0: stuff. All of that counts
1: as um, hours for the Master Naturalist. Okay, okay,
0: yeah. So it can be pretty easy to do. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, you can,
1: oh, iNaturalist, which I know we want to talk about. Yeah. um, That counts. So um, going out, doing a nature walk, documenting the things that are in your local park, um, putting it on iNaturalist, that
0: all counts as volunteer. Yeah. Okay. And you don't have to have anybody sign off for hours. How would you do that? Um. I think
1: honestly, I think it's kind of like the honor system. Self-reporting, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's self-reporting. It's, okay. Um, I think I think they kind of pretty much say like if this person, they kind of trust that you're going to be doing the work
0: anyway. Right. Okay. Uh, so. Okay. Yeah. No, I had i naturalist for a little bit on an older phone, and then I just I took it off because I think I needed like the space. <laughs> And I, and uh, I needed, uh, yeah, I needed the space. And then I, you know, I, I like documenting in my yard, but I also didn't want to like geo-reference, you know, where my location oh my was God. exactly. So that's, uh, but because I've seen so many more people getting into naturalists I've, I've been interested in doing that. I guess I'm also concerned about, especially with plants, um, was yeah, geo-referencing things and, you know, them disappearing later. So
1: Yes, that, that is a concern. And there's an option on there. Um, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it is on there. It's on the app. On the website, there's so many more things. So what I end up doing is I take most of my pictures when I'm out on a hike, and then I come back and upload on the computer because one, you're not using your data out in the field. And then two, um, you know, it's just, there's so much more on the website that you can access. Um there's you can obscure your location, which I've done that before. And if you know it's a specific if you if you know the species is um sensitive, then you can obscure there. So okay. on that. We had that situation with the violets with um especially cactus, the Missouri fox silk cactus. Mm. Not that common and it's been poached, you know, so why we don't have very much of it. So <laughs> that's one of the ones that they kind of told us like, okay, be sure you obscure this one because we don't want
0: anyone coming in, you know, taking this plant. Right. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to backtrack a little bit back to your herbs and to, um, you know, you're talking about the calendula and, you know, using things for your, for medicine. And you've done a lot of that. You want to talk a little bit about what you've been building as your side business? Or is, I guess it's not a side business. It is your business.
1: <laughs> well, I, I've, personally, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so nervous about it because it's, I'm, it's in the very beginning stages. So, um, I, I guess I call it a side business and hopefully it's a full business. Someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, I mean, I guess a good starting point is like the calendula and comfrey, like calendula is really great for the skin and, um, it's actually the first herb that I use medicinally besides like um, teas I got at the store. Right. So it's like kind of piddled in that, but you know, not, not even really anything besides reading the box, you know? So um, my friend Taylor, when I was pregnant, I was like going through my baby registry and adding this and this, and I wanted to go like all natural organic. I was really like, paranoid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I noticed that like this, this specific brand cream, this calendula cream was so expensive. And my friend Taylor, who has been doing herbalism longer and she's like, she's really good. She's like, you can make that. And I was like, what? Tell (laughs) me. Make it. Right. And so she's like, you just, she actually sent me, um, A printout in the mail, which was nice because, you know, who does mail these days? Right. (laughs) But she copied it home for me. And um, calendula oil. And you just literally dry the flowers and you steep them in the oil. You can do it either... Um, in the windowsill, and it takes you know four to six weeks, or you can do it in your oven on a low temp, and it just takes a few hours. And you can use that as a diaper rash oil, and you can make creams really easily. It was just like a whole new world when she told me that. So I was like, I'm doing more of this. I'm not using anything from the store
0: anymore. <laughs> and is it just the flowers or the leaves for the calendula?
1: It's just the flowers. So here and here's one of the. Um, I think, like, attention in the permaculture versus, like, naturalist view, and I try to do my best, is I try to plant enough to pick. You're supposed to pick them when they first start flowering, but that's not leaving much for the bees. So I try right. to pick here and there, and um, but that's, you know, but that's when you pick it. And then you just can dry them in, like, a paper bag with holes in it. Okay. And, or, I mean, I do it that way because I have pets, but, um, if you don't have pets, then you can just have them like lying in a basket and air dry. Okay. Okay. So that's it. And I'm just like, why isn't like, why are we buying like $10 or $20 stuff in the store? Like that's all there is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So that turned into you creating other salves and, and, and oils and things like that. And to a business. It's like a
1: gateway it's like a gateway drug I guess you know like I guess plants are that way though because like once you collect one yeah. you do not keep collecting <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, yeah my friend told me about Rosemary Gladstar and she's kind of like the person in um, the US for traditional Western herbalism which I guess is kind of mostly what I've explored and um, she has a really good basic book i think it's called um just like herbs for beginners or something like that and it has all of that stuff and everything is so you know it it might not be easy to grow but it's easy to acquire and if for me each new herb is just another opportunity to be like another challenge you know right um so yeah you can kind of just go step by step and say okay well look all of these really common herbs grow here. I'm going to throw them in some oil or vinegar or, or whatever. And there you go.
0: Right. So, yeah. Um, my, I tried, uh, I made plantain self like yeah. about a year ago. And so it turned into our boo-boo cream. So <laughs> like here's some boo-boo cream. And so my son will ask for it. It's really kind of funny, yeah. but yeah, I haven't delved into anything else, but it's, it's, it's it I mean, mostly because I've, I feel like I had to juggle, like, okay, what can I, (laughs) I don't want to get into all this herbal stuff, even though it's really cool. And I have something else I'm working on. So I'm glad that you and other people are taking the initiative to create, um, these to sell, you know, for local batches.
1: Yeah. I think, I think maybe it's one of those things that maybe, um, and I, and I like this, I don't know if I'd call it spiritual, but I like um, going back to like some of the older traditions and connecting back to what generations did before us, you know? And I think, you know, in herbalism, a lot of people, they talk about like the lore of the plant or the history of the plant. And that has been early kind of different way. Like we're talking about with standard gardening, um, what you don't get into as much. And so that's one thing I've enjoyed about, Herbalism is you get a little bit more uh, deeper in getting to know the plants because you're using them, you know, as medicine or whatnot.
0: Right, right. And have you had your first uh, farmer's market yet, or is that coming up?
1: It's coming up.
0: Um, I'm
1: October sixth is okay. the, first, the first market. It's a craft fair, which. Um, which is great. It's at, it's at, um, Roots, our local plant nursery, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, a a whole new realm of things with like herbalism and selling herbs and making, you know, medicinal claims and whatnot. It's like a whole nother world when it comes to the laws and, um, yeah, right. But yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy world. I didn't, I kind of thought I could just put some stuff and make it and, and go, but um, there's a lot of like, leg like work to do to make sure you're doing
0: things the right way. <laughs> right. Was it, was that hard or was it pretty, I mean, I guess the legalese, was it hard to get through or did it did you find anybody mentors to help you?
1: Well, there's a lot of good resources online or as far as like on the, um, the federal, the federal, um, regulations, um, but every state also has their own laws as far as, you know, I'm sure you're aware of like the Texas Cottage Food Um Act yeah. is is interesting because um like for me, one of my products is a vinegar, a fourth fourth vinegar. And Okay, it's vinegar and that's covered under the cottage food act but if you're making a medicinal claim it's not considered a food it's very you know oh wow it's confusing but um i wish it were a little clearer but i think i have all my ducks in a row as far as like
0: labels <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. well that's good i'm excited for you and i hope uh i hope you have a lot of success and uh do you think you'll sell online eventually or is it just local
1: um, I think I will. I think I, I, I started trying to set up like a big cartel website. Um, my, my main thing is I hope, you know, you have a kid, I have a four year old and who there's, I feel like there's times where I'm just like, Oh, I have this time I'm ready and I'm prepared. And then, um, then I'm like, Oh my gosh, I haven't had time to sit down and do anything for two weeks. Yeah. i so afraid to sell online just because what if someone orders like 50 things and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, when am I going to make this? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm not doing that quite yet, but I hope to, to get into it. Right.
0: Okay. Well, do you have any of the resources, books or people um, or, or podcasts or anything like that, that you'd like to share that have inspired you or helped you along the way?
1: Um, well, as far as herbalism, definitely Rosemary Gladstar. She has a lot of really good stuff um both books she's done she's been around so long there's a million things um on youtube with lectures um and how tos all this diy information um the permaculture actually the intro to permaculture book is pretty dense but um a book called gaia's garden is a really yeah good. i love that yeah you wrote that one it's um I feel like it's a little more accessible as an intro. Um, I have my stack of books like sitting on my table. Just <laughs> trying to, but it's like a big stack. So I was, i trying to think. Uh, something I didn't get into very much, then, um, but is a, a kind of big part of permaculture or can be is is fermentation. And I did that for a while. I haven't done it in probably about a year. But the art of fermentation is a really good book. Um, by Sandor Katz and it's a really um, kind of eye-opening way to think about food what we're growing the history behind it and of preservation and whatnot and I definitely recommend that book just kind of as a overall um, I don't know what I'm going to say just a mind-opening type book
0: right yeah, I borrowed it from the library once, and I was just kind of, I was astounded by how much different things of of, of fermentation uh, that he did and does, yeah. and um, yeah, I mean, I, I've i tried fermenting other things, and I just, I don't know, I, I haven't gotten brave enough to try be crazy yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really try to be crazy, but the stuff, most of the stuff that I've tried. Um, was successful and good. And I, I just kind of, I don't know. I think like the feeling that you get from doing something without the assistance of a whole lot of like technology and whatnot is, is really good and like empowering. So yes. that's, um, you know, that's been a big part of like my ethic and I guess the, the drive my motivation behind a lot of um what I do in the garden and related to it. So,
0: right. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. If you want to uh, wrap up and uh, tell people where they can find you online, and you know, maybe visit you at the farmers market if they're local.
1: Okay, um, I'm I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and my Facebook is Berrybee Urban Farm, and um, my Instagram is Vinegar Fairy. And I'll be at which I should probably change to Berrybee Urban Farm at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and technology and then i'll be at roots um plant nursery in burleson texas on october 6th um yeah selling some salves and vinegars and stuff like that
0: awesome awesome well thanks again for coming on the podcast i'm glad we actually finally connected um after you know following each other for years so
1: thank you for having me on it was a lot of fun